Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. This is your go-to podcast on optimizing your day. The Win the 16 podcast features discussions on leadership and coaching, personal and professional development, as well as discussions on the modern work culture and engaging employees in hybrid and remote work environments. Your hosts are Dave Pygon, president of Pygon One Consulting, and his brother, Dr. Bud Pygon, anesthesiologist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. On today's episode, Dave will be interviewing Nick Wisher, co-founder of Yoke, a technology company. They will be discussing small businesses, amateur athletics, and the Wish Forever Foundation. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Win the 16 podcast. Thank you for listening today. Carrie and the production team, thank you for all your work and support as always. And everybody, please rate, review, and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Pygon One Consulting, or you have any comments or questions from the podcast, Win the 16, we'd love to hear from you at PygonOne.com. Today, we've got a guest. And when I say that, I use that term loosely because I've known Nick Wisher for, boy, Nick, what, probably, when did I first meet you? Seventh, eighth grade, maybe? That sounds about right. Probably earlier, honestly, fourth grade. Okay. So. Yes. Great family from the South Side, uh, Don and Gene Wisher. Nick is, I don't want to say a legend on the South Side, but close to it here in Chicago. Uh, was a phenomenal athlete, student athlete, highly successful, uh, was blessed enough to get many different college student athletic scholarships and went to Notre Dame, played football. I'm going to turn it over to you, Nick, and let everybody, because I know they're going to want to hear your background and where you're at today, but not only where you're at today, where you came from. I think it'd be really helpful. So why don't you share, everybody, Nick, your background? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks. First off, um, thanks for having me, Dave. This is awesome. Known you for a long time and um, you know what you're doing now with Pygon One Consulting and, and hosting this podcast is really cool. Been listening to the past couple episodes and just uh, to be on here, I'm, I'm really honored. So thanks for having me. Uh, I, we love the plug. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I'll just start from the top. So born and raised south side of Chicago, uh, went to Marist High School. Um, you know, from there, even starting before that in grade school, was just really had a knack for, for athletics, right? I was always um, a bigger kid. So um, played up with my brothers and a lot of my sport, the sports in grade school, which is, I think, where it all started for me to really learn the grittiness and the, the tenacity and competitiveness that it takes to really become a good athlete. And let me tell you, when he says big, I'm talking, I'm sitting across from a guy who's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, closing under 240 or so. So uh, <laughs> yes, yes, in a good way too. So Yeah, so that was, a, I think in about eighth grade, I was probably over six feet. So, you know, always had a, a leg up on the competition that way, which was great. Um, but yeah, growing up, um, sports were, sports were my world, right? Obviously yes. was, was raised by, um, an amazing, you know, parents, mom and dad, um, uh, really were, um, kept me in a good place with that. Obviously first and foremost came academics. So academics was, I always had to take care of those. And I knew that I had to get all my homework done before I could go to practice. Right. So that sort of thing. Um, and then sports became really my sanctuary to escape, uh, that sort of thing. And, um, lucky enough, was able to go to, to Maris High School, uh, played football and basketball there. Um, on my freshman year, I was up on varsity for basketball. So really thought basketball was probably going to be my path to college. Um, and that was really why I, you know, I, I chose the high school I did. And the coaching staff there was amazing. Um, you know, when my body was transforming over the next couple of years there, 
I actually received my first scholarship offer in football. Uh, I was from Northwestern and here in here in Chicago. Received that um, actually even before I played a, a varsity down of football, which was was kind of crazy. That was amazing, <laughs> and I can tell all of us were thrilled. Just to take a step back on Nick's background, his dad was a good athlete in his day, Don. And if Don, you're listening, uh, kudos to you. Mom was another level though, so she was a Northwestern D1 phenomenal athlete. So not saying you didn't get some from dad, but mom was major in that uh, in terms of giving you some good genes there. So Yeah, no, no doubt about it. We still joke around. My dad still likes to think he was where the athleticism came from. Yeah. But in reality, we know, and I think everyone knows where it really came from. <laughs> yes, yes. Your dad is tough as nails, though. I'll give him that too. So I'm not messing with, I'm not messing with anybody in your household, by the way, just so we get that clear. But you were an excellent basketball player. I remember seeing you as a kid. Uh, my good friend, I know, uh, Pat Branken was one of your coaches, Coach Eileen, outstanding. And then you just were a great football player. You flourished in football. You you got your first scholarship. Then Notre Dame comes knocking to a Southside Catholic, great student. It's like the dream come true, right? You got Northwestern, and then you've got Notre Dame sitting in front of you. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was a wild ride. So, I mean, I was really young in the process when it started. Like I, I mentioned, I was um, going into my sophomore year of high school when I was first offered by Northwestern. I remember I was sitting with one of my best friends, Marty Mahalik, at the time. We were, it was summer, we were at Subway down the street eating, and <laughs> Coach Fitz calls me, and uh, he offered me a scholarship while I'm sitting at Subway. <laughs> so, okay. we, we get on our bikes, we, we bike home, and, you know, I go tell my parents, of course, they're ecstatic. Yes. Um, and then when that offer came, really the floodgates kind of were opened. We right. had, um, you know, especially after that, that next season was my first varsity year. I think I had around 30 scholarship offers by the time it was all said and done. Um, but really my main focus was Northwestern, uh, Michigan and Notre Dame. So when it all came down to it, those were the three that I was most intrigued by for a lot of different reasons. Sure. You know, the, the academic piece, all three of those schools are, are amazing schools, right? Yes. Um, you know, I'd like to think I'm smart, but I probably wasn't getting into some of those schools without football, right? And so it was um, it was an exci exciting time for me. Um, and then academics, obviously, was the first piece. Um, sports, right? Obviously, football, and I needed to figure out what was going to be best for my, my situation as a tight end. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, proximity to home was another huge piece for me. All three of those schools are, you know, close enough for family and friends to come to games and things like you that. You couldn't lose. Yeah. So all three of those were, were tremendous um, options. Um, you know, when it all said and done, I came down and, and picked Notre Dame. Really, Notre Dame had my heart from the beginning. That's one of those offers you get that's really like, wow, is this, you know, is this happening, right? As a Southside Chicago kid, yes. you grew up you know, kind of under the, the shadow of the Golden Dome, right, which was amazing. Um, so was able to commit there and that's really where, um, you know, where my, my collegiate journey started and it was an, an amazing experience. And I think what I love about your background, we're going to now, Nick, is what you did is you parlayed, you, you, you looked at the NFL that just didn't work out for whatever reason. You had a very successful career at Notre Dame. We watched you every Saturday uh, on TV. It was great. And the NFL route didn't work out for you. You parlayed the education and the football because then you ended up getting an MBA, correct, at Mendoza? Yep. So it's a, a master's in finance, so okay. a master's degree. And and that was, for me, I'm super proud of that because Amen. It, so I, I redshirted my freshman year, right? So I, I didn't play redshirted. So that gave me a fifth year of eligibility. Um, from there, I was actually able to graduate in about three and a half years of my undergrad. 
degree. And that is really kind of what allowed me to be able to take advantage of this one year master's program that Notre Dame offered. Um, Smart. There hasn't been very many athletes that have done it. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm proud of. It's just, it's a great, you know, it took a lot of effort, right? I was actually driving back and forth to Chicago a lot of the time <laughs> because that's where my classes were. So would wake up at 4 a.m. and have to go lift with, you know, Coach Bayless and our, and our strength staff during the spring uh, around 4 a.m. and to be able to make it to Chicago in time for class. Um, so it was, it was a grind, but, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to be able to do it and wouldn't have, uh, you know, messed that up for the world. And you took a, what, what I love about the story is you, and we, and I've heard it and I've talked about it before, is taking advantage of the opportunities because whether you're a college student or you're in your the professional world, those opportunities, it's so imperative all of us take them when they're in front of us because they don't necessarily always show up every day. So I love that, Nick. So you've got your MBA and before you started your company, you were at Kraft, correct? Yeah. So that was my first role. So once our, my, my last collegiate game ended, which was in January of 2019, I tested the waters with the NFL, right? Uh, right? And I, I did some pro days. I did some, had a few tryouts with some teams, the Bears and, and that sort of thing. Um, unfortunately, you know, when uh, the draft came around and then camp, I didn't get picked up. So that's sure. when I kind of decided, you know, let's go use those finance degrees that you had from Notre Dame. And so I um, was able to, to get a job at Kraft Heinz. So I was on the revenue management team and my team there was responsible for um, the biggest expense on Kraft Heinz balance sheet. So Kraft Heinz, or on their income statement, excuse me, Kraft Heinz is, does about $22 billion in revenue a year. Uh, it's probably more now, but when I was there, about $22 billion a year. Their biggest in, um, expense was this thing called trade. So w think about whenever you go into a grocery store, um, when you see like a particular item that sticks out on the shelf, it's in the perfect place. They have this really cool display around it that your eyes go to. All of that costs Kraft Heinz money to be able to sell into that particular grocery mm. store. And for Kraft, that's a $7 billion expense. And so for me, my team was tasked to analyze all those events that our sales and marketing teams were running to sell those into stores and to make sure that they're actually, you know, giving a good ROI on those events. And so we had this, you know, big model. We, we took in all the inputs and data from a lot of different teams, sales team, revenue management team, uh, FP&A team, and, and kind of were the middleman and bringing that all together and figuring out whether those events were, were good for the business and should we run them again next year? Should we look for different opportunities, et cetera? Nothing happens anymore without return on investment. That's for sure. No doubt. So our topic today, and thanks for sharing all that, Nick. I think it's helpful for people to get a perspective on your background because it's impressive, is NILs. My brother, I think last week on the podcast, calls them NILs. And uh, what is an NIL? And it's a big thing now in amateur sports. So Nick... You've started a company, you and your friends, you're co-founder of Yoke. So before we get into this, Nick, why don't you first tell everybody what is an NIL? Yeah, so NIL has really kind of taken on uh, a different meaning, especially over the last couple of years, but we call it NIL. It's basically an acronym. It stands for Name, Image, and Likeness. And what that really is referring to is the legislation that was passed in July of 2021 that allowed uh, collegiate amateur athletes to be able to finally be compensated for, um, you know, a variety of different things, just like a professional can can be. Uh, what that entails is, you know, brand deals or, you know, showing up to your local car dealership and uh, doing a commercial for them, or something as simple as, you know, showing up to an autograph signing or a charity event. 
college athletes are finally able to actually be compensated for doing that. Um, for the last hundred years, probably even more, college athletes weren't able to take advantage of that, which is pretty crazy considering, you know, the amount of value that they create for the university. Um, now they're finally able to return, you know, get, get some value in return for being a great athlete. Yes. I, and I know there's that whole argument out there and I, I'm not here to get in the middle and try to persuade anyone either side of the fence on the arguments of whether these college kids should be paid, not paid. All I can tell people is my perspective on that is there is that fine line. And I remember, and this was, you know, dates me, but back in you know the late eighties when I was at Northern Illinois, which is a mid-major school. And, and Nick, I told you the story. I think when we were just having dinner, uh, I told you that some of the rules that the NCAA had, it's just crazy. I can remember, you know, we're taking classes all morning. We have lunch. Maybe we get 30 to 40 minutes in our, in our dorm room. And then we're running, especially as freshmen, going to get taped because you got to get taped first before the seniors and juniors get there or they'll run in front of you and then you'll be late for practice. Practice for three hours and then you shower, get your Gatorade at your locker, and then you'd run to a training table, which is dinner with the team. It was pouring rain out. All the coaches are going to training table and they can't give us a ride at that time because that was breaking NCA rules to give the student athletes a ride to training table, which was say four or five, six blocks. And it was literally pouring rain out. So there's so many things that was going, that have been going on over the years. I don't want to necessarily say taking advantage of the athletes and student athletes, but there were some things that just, common sense was not prevailing. So you, I don't even want to call you kidding anymore because you're a grown adult and uh, a wonderful professional starting your own company. But I'm so glad that things are happening now for these student athletes that are giving so much to the university and they're making so much money. And this is where your company comes in. And I'd love for you, you're a co-founder, I believe your title is the head of finance at Yoke. Why don't you tell everybody, Nick, what Yoke is? Yeah, so what we do at Yoke is we create technology that allows college athletes to monetize their NIL. And we do that through these things called NIL clubs. So what we do is uh, we create basically an online community where entire teams, uh, so for example, the Notre Dame football team comes together on this online community and they invite their fans, friends, family to wh whoever you know is associated with them to subscribe to this club. So it's a monthly subscription for a fan. And then in return, the college athletes are uh, providing different interactions. So those interactions take the form of them uploading content that you can only see behind this paywalled subscription community. They um, interact on message boards, on chat rooms, and things like that. So we're at around, um, we have about 50 of the top football programs in the country where our, hmm. our football, their football teams are involved in these NIL clubs. Um, as well as we kind of just branched out to other sports and are, are finally, you know, getting other sports involved too. So it's a really cool opportunity, a great space to be in. Um, and it's really exciting as a former college athlete to be able to see, you know, where this thing has gone. Even the last two years, it's grown so much. Nick, it's so new. Do you, do you guys with your analytics have an idea of what this market either is or potentially could be, or do we not even have that kind of information yet? Cause it is so new. Yeah, it's, it's so new. You can look at a few different factors, right? You can kind of look at um, professional sports as a, as a, you know, a target. You can also look at really just the, the college athlete fan base and different things that they spend money on is really kind of where we get our market information from. Look, they're spending money on tickets. They're spending money on, 
um, you know, coming to games in the in that particular coming to South Bend, staying at a hotel, whatever. Um, they're spending money on merchandise. They're spending money at the bookstore, right? They're they're spending so much money. This is you know we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars of of a market in terms of how much fans are actually spending in this in this category. And that doesn't even um, when people think about NIL, mostly they think of brands, right? Brands coming and paying college athletes to post an Instagram post or to um, film a commercial, right? So there's basically these two different markets um, in the NIL space, which we can get to in the, in the kind of the next couple of questions, but it's basically brands and fans. And so when those two, those are basically the big two markets in the NIL space. Who I was curious, so your salespeople and your sales team, who do they spend their time with mostly? Who is their targeting audience? Yeah, right now it's it's the athletes themselves. So in some cases we work directly with the universities, but in most cases we work directly with the the athletes. So um, a lot of our sales team and our biz ops guys are are reaching out to um, to the athletes themselves to tell them about the product. And once they're on board, once we get you know a large number of a particular team on board in the community, that's really when the flywheel starts taking place. Those guys, these teams and these kids that are athletes have existing fan bases, um, even whether it just be, you know, the, their old nanny or their neighbor who they used to babysit for or their old high school coach. They have a lot of people around them that want to see them succeed, particularly in this new NIL era. And so once we get the athletes on board, the marketing side is basically comes just from the athletes. So like we don't spend much on marketing at all to, to get this community going. It's the athlete's job to promote their own communities to their fan bases, and that's really where the flywheel effect happens. So they're the branding; they're basically branding themselves then through this, right? And what we are uh, take pride in is we just provide them the technology and tools to be able to monetize their own fan base in this new way. Who helps them if they've got a feeling they want to brand it, they just don't know how to do that? Is that something they go outside with? So we try to help them where we can, um, because again, we deal with, you know, almost over a hundred of these clubs now. So we can kind of give them best practices of what, what clubs okay. have we seen succeed? What have those teams in particular done to promote their club? Um, how can we share those best practices with you? Um, but aside from that, the, um, you know, there's a lot of different agencies involved. There's a lot of other NIL businesses that are, are trying to focus on how do we help these kids build their brands in that way? Um, which, you know, that could be a focus for us down the road. But right now our focus is on the technology and giving these kids the tools they need to be able to take advantage of it. Right. Your prime at Yoke is the platform for these right. men and women. Yeah, we're, we're a technology company. And yeah. like I said, we, we do see, you know, with all these clubs running, we can kind of see what's working, what's not, and then try to, you know, give tips and advice to these new clubs that are launching to try to help them as they, as they get started. Got it. Got it. So what about the trends? What are you, what are you all seeing in this space? Because it's new and it's growing. What, what are the trends going on, Nick? Yeah, I would say really where we're at is, is kind of the hot trend is to try to how, how does NIL going to come into the fan engagement space? When NIL got started, everyone, uh, all these new companies and such kind of flooded into the brands, right? They, they thought brands were going to lead the charge on helping athletes get paid, which there's still a ton of that going on, right? That's a, it's a huge area and, mm -hmm. and athletes are making a lot of money through brand deals. But kind of the, the next thing is what people were realizing is, all right, maybe 
the top 5% of athletes throughout the country, they're the ones that brands are going to come to for these, you know, public uh, announcements, commercials, and things like that, because that's where they get the, the greatest ROI. It's that top 5% that have the followers on Instagram, have the followers on Twitter, where they're actually, you know, able to get good impressions with, with posts and things like that. Um, and so that's, there's a, there's a great market there for brands, but I think the biggest trend in the NIL space is really where we're, you know, trying to, to lead the charge at is the fan engagement space. Like I said, the market is there. We know fans are willing to spend money on their, their favorite team. Um, it's just, how do we either transfer that to the college athletes pockets or, you know, get them to open up their, their pocketbook a little bit more. Wow. So what are some of the existing technologies and what about companies out there yeah, currently? I would, I would say the biggest in the space are, are Open Doors and Influencer. So those two companies are really leading the charge on the brand front. You know, they're kind of the, the big marketplaces where they've even partnered with schools where they're the um, premier marketplace for brand interactions for that specific university. So they're kind of, you know, split. You know, a lot of universities are with Influencer, a lot are with Open Doors. And so um, those two are definitely leading the charge. And those companies have been around even prior to NIL. They've done a lot of, you know, with professional athletes and things like that. Um, and so those two are, you know, we, we have great respect for those two because they've, they've kind of been there and done that. And so from a technology perspective, that is a space, that's, that's the re really the reason why we're in this space is because we've seen the sports sector in particular regarding regardless of you're looking at nil or you know ticketing or anything like that there's a big opportunity for new technology um it's just kind of a, an area that seems a little bit behind the eight ball when in terms of when you look at um all the other industries throughout the the world like the sports industry for some reason just is a little bit behind on that so that's why we're excited to be in this space so would you say for you so you and your partners when you when you all started yoke was was it the lack of technology that attracted you guys to it mostly how did that opportunity pop up in your world right you're 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 doing really well at craft and how did you guys come up with that yeah so for us our our journey really got started uh, we knew the nil thing was happening right so we started in 2019 like we knew it was going to happen at some point we didn't know if it was going to be in july 2021 at that point but we knew college athletes we're going to start being able to get paid soon. But really, we got our start um, with a little bit of a different concept. Our, our entire business has always been about connecting athletes to their fans. And so that's really how we got started with was the idea to connect athletes to their fans via video chat. So um, really just a live kind of FaceTime. So we developed an app um, and, and to do that, right? And then what we, what we learned from that experience was that a lot of the athletes, when they were FaceTiming their fans, were actually playing video games at the same time. You know, oh. it was just kind of something that we we seen we would see happening just interesting without us really even thinking that was going to be a thing. And then we started testing. All right, let's market this as play video games with X Y Z athlete. And so we actually our biggest um, we had Leonard Fournette on at that time was the one oh, we, sure. really, we really started um, getting that that up to speed with. And so we started marketing with that. And that really took off. And this was right when COVID hit. And so kids were just basically at home, not doing anything, not even really going to school. And same thing with athletes. Athletes didn't, didn't know what was going on with COVID. So they were at home playing tons of video games. And so from there, we pivoted the business towards athletes playing video games with fans. And so we still have that part of our business. But now that NIL is here, we've found um, 
you know, kind of this new space of creating NIL clubs as that's, that's going to be our main focus and our main route um, because we just see a, a lot bigger of an opportunity there. With all the fans and the alumni yeah. boosters, all of that right, exactly. is now a potential revenue and opportunity for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a ton of it. You know, the smart universities are so big. Um, they have so many alumni, so many just great fan bases. And I'm not even talking about like when you think of this, you know, you think of Notre Dame, you think of Ohio State, Michigan, right? But there are some crazy fan bases at, you know, Troy, right? Or at um, sure. Fairfield University out in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. There's these just diehard fan bases that put their money where their mouth is, right? And so how do we break into that and how do we get that fan engagement to start? Yeah, this is for anybody out there, right? This is not, we're just not talking about Notre Dame and UCLA and USC and the Power Five conferences. This is anybody with a fan base who wants to get closer with their athletes, correct? Right, yeah, no, that's the goal. So that we kind of got our start with football and the, at the biggest universities because that was our bread and butter, right? Me and my other co-founder played football at Notre Dame. We had a lot of different connections throughout the space. But sure. now that we're branching out, I'll, I'll give you a good example. So I, I mentioned Troy. The Troy University golf team uh, actually has an NIL club where they're going on there and they are, um, you know, uploading contents of, of uh, some tips and some skills, right, that they've learned throughout their careers. And, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well for themselves, making a couple hundred bucks a month. And we, and we launched a few months ago. And so as these things come by, these, these athletes have fan bases, right? When you think of Troy, you wouldn't think the you know, Troy University men's golf team would be that popular. But they have enough people, each of the athletes themselves have between five to 10 people that are willing to spend some money and um, to be able to see this content and to be able to, be able to interact with the team. And so when we think of how do we become you know, a, a giant business, there are, there's over 350 Division I universities. And then when you bring in D2 and D3, you get up into the thousands. And we really believe that these fan bases and these teams have um, can bring in the resources to be able to make this a big business. Oh yeah. It's you guys are smart. You guys are on top of it. Nick. Why don't we take a real quick break and we'll come back. Cause I have a few more questions. Uh, I also, and I don't, I'm saving the best for the last. I have a few questions on college sports and I have to ask you as well as we're going to finish up with the foundation you and your family run the wish forever, which we're finishing with that because it's an amazing foundation and I want you to be able to share to everybody that because um, it's it's just spectacular what you guys have all done with that. So thank you for listening to Win the 16. We'll be right back, everybody. If you're enjoying the Win the 16 podcast, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcast. To find out more about Pygon One Consulting, please visit pygon1.com. Welcome back to Win the 16 podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening. We have Nick Wisher, the co-founder at Yoke with us. And we've got a few more questions we want to ask Nick before uh, we go into uh, his, his family's foundation that I, I have to get out there because it's amazing. I can't talk about it enough. And Nick, you guys are young, successful guys, um, doing great, well-educated, why don't you tell people out there who are thinking about starting a business? Because one of the things that comes up a lot as a consultant that I hear, especially with the smaller startup companies, is funding and money. And that's a tricky slope, right? Because you need 
all of us need some money to get going, but then you run of how do you get it? What's too much? Do you want to touch on that a little bit? That might be a good topic for everybody. Yeah. So we were really fortunate um, to kind of get started with one of my co-founder, Mick Asaph, had a, had a family friend, you know, kind of a high net worth individual that he just pitched a, a, a pitch deck to. It was kind of now that we look back at it, like, why would anyone give us money for this pitch deck? It's a PowerPoint that wasn't very good. But he gave us, um, you know, 100 grand. So we had 100 grand to start. And really, that was that was amazing as, you know, we were kind of right out of college at that point um, to, to be able to have that. And so we were lucky in that sense. But when I look back at it, you know, seeing our, the, the way we've grown over the last three, four years, what we did with that money initially was like, all right, we need to, we had this idea. The original idea was to connect people to, um, to connect athletes to their fans via video chat, right? So none of us were actual technical people. None of us were engineers. Uh, that our three co-founders were all kind of business, more business marketing minded. And so our first thought was, okay, we need to get this up and running somehow, like techni technically wise, right? So we actually, we did, we did some diligence on the best way to get that started. Uh, we, we landed on actually this dev shop um, out of New York City and they worked with some folks over in, um, you know, overseas and they, they were amazing. But they built us, they built us this great site. We we had didn't really do any testing prior to this. This was kind of my biggest thing as I look back that I, I would have redone. We spent you know, almost sixty seventy thousand dollars on to this dev shop to build our first product without realizing that we could have built this. We could have scrapped this together and learned a lot before we spent that kind of money to, to make sure this that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, so like we again, we are seventy thousand dollars in the hole. We had athletes and fans connecting on that that site that this dev shop built for us but we re what we realized was kind of that that gaming piece right we saw them wanting to play video games together and so that's really where we then decided to pivot the business towards a mobile application that allowed college athletes to be able to play video games together and so or and nfl athletes excuse me but when i look back at that we did not need to hire the dev shop to be able to find that out we could have just done these um these video chats on a Zoom call or a Google Meets. Google Meets is free. We could have, you know, just scrapped the way together for the the fan and the athlete to connect on uh, Google Meets and then figure out how those interactions were going to take place. So, so me, you know, four years later down the road, um, that was my biggest kind of regret because that's it's hard to say it's a regret because I learned so much through that process. Exactly, I was just um, going to say that. So it's not not a regret, but something that I learned through that and that I would advise people who want to get started is look, you don't, you, you don't need a lot of money to get something started. What you need is um, one customer. You need to weigh, a way to scrap a story together, kind of explain to them what you want to build, how, you're, how do you think you're going to build it to kind of, and see what, what are their thoughts. It's one thing you know, to just hear their thoughts on something like that. And then it, it, you get their feedback, you get their advice. And then you start thinking about, all right, how can I scrap this, just uh, an MVP together as quickly as possible as, cost efficient as possible. It's not going to be very good. It's not going to be, you know, your finished product if this thing does work, but it's going to be something that you learn from. And so for us, that would be my biggest advice is to just, you know, try not to worry about the funding it's going to take you to get there, but try to find something and find a way to scrap something together that's going to give you initial feedback to see, should you even spend money on building this in the first place? And so from that, you know, we've been fortunate enough to be able to raise uh, right around $2 million um, over the last couple of years. 
it's been great. We've had, you know, a lot of kind of angel investor type strategic investors come in um, and actually a, a venture capital firm out of New York as well. And so that's been an amazing process. Me as a young entrepreneur to be able to sit in on those meetings and, you know, understand what these VCs are looking for. Uh, how do I present information to them in the right way? Um, you know, how do I explain to them that we really think this is going to be a huge opportunity, right? So for me in my young uh, career and in my growth, that's been one of the most enjoyable pieces is going through that fundraising process. A couple things. First of all, when you, I was smiling as I was listening to you when you were talking about, we wish we would have done, we wish we had done that. I was thinking not to play off a, a football metaphor here, but you sounded like the armchair quarterback over there. Uh, when we were watching Notre Dame games on Saturday of why we didn't do this, why you didn't do that. So I think Nick, and I say that jokingly, but not that jokingly, I'm the same way with Pygon One Consulting. If I, what I know now versus when I first started, I would have done that. So I think all of us out there who started a business or for the executives out there that are running a business, we all feel exactly like you did at some point, but you hit on something that's so critical that I, I just want to reiterate to everybody is, Whatever business you're running, whether it's yours, and I like to say, I don't care if you're not the owner of it, it's your business and you're running that. It, it, it's all you. It's got to be a learning experience and it's got to be a growth mindset. And if my brother was here today, we'd probably talk about Carol Dweck, uh, our, our, our friend at uh, Stanford who taught us all about growth mindset versus fixed. But I'm just listening to you talk and it's all about growth, learning, development, you guys are going to do great. I mean, with that mindset you have, you're going to just do phenomenal. Yeah. If anybody wants to, I've got a couple other questions I want to ask you, but they're a little bit off the beaten path of NILs because I know I've got friends out there that want me to ask a couple of these questions. And before we get into the wish, or for, wish forever, if anyone wants to contact, has any questions, uh, anything about Yoke and what you do, where do they go? What's the best place to contact? Yeah, we have anyone? a contact. Uh, on our website, so yoketeam.com, Y-O-K-E, team, T-A-M, T-E-A-M, excuse me, dot com. Um, that's a great place to reach out. Also, you know, find me on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Twitter, whatever social media um, you guys are using. I'm happy to, to shoot me a DM. I'm happy to, to go over whatever or just, you know, talk shop. I love, I love talking about this stuff. Absolutely. So yoketeam.com, if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever have you for Nick and his partners and the team at Yoke. So thank you for clarifying that. Uh, I could have talked to you about another hour because I have tons more questions, but uh, due to time, we can't do that. So I have some other things I want to ask you. Uh, life lesson. Being a student athlete at Notre Dame, uh, football player, give us a life lesson or two from that experience that you learned or developed. I would just say... I mean, there's so many that come to mind when I when I think of that, but I, I would say the most, the single most important is resiliency and, and grit. And what I mean by that is, you know, my experience at Notre Dame, I played a ton, right? I was a, um, you know, a, a great player on that team, was actually one of the team captains, but there was a lot of times where, you know, I shouldn't have been on the field when I was. And the reason I was on the field is because I basically made the coaches put me in because of how resilient and gritty I was during practice. Like none of that, I, I, I really 
earned my way onto that field. And it was because as a young player, I was, uh, my first start was uh, my sophomore year. So the year after my redshirt year. And, um, you know, there a lot of guys were getting hurt in camp and things like that. And what I really credited my earning the coach's trust in that situation to be able to have my first career start against Clemson. We were both 6-0 and teams going into, you know, Death Valley. Sean Watson's team? Yeah. Is played, that what you told me? Sean Watson. Yep, yep. I remember you saying that. In 2015, uh, this was the college game day of the week. And I started that game. Uh, the reason I started that game was because of the trust that I built uh, with the coaching staff months before that in summer camp. And what that was, so summer camp, for the folks that don't know, in, in the college level at a place like Notre Dame, summer camp's absolutely grueling. It's, it's you know, kind of similar to a, <laughs> a military boot camp, right, where you're, yes. you're kind of away from campus. It's just you and the team. You're doing two-a-days, three-a-days, just all-day football, all-day working out, all-day just sweating and, you know, getting in good shape for the season. Right, in the hot, humid weather of South Bend, Indiana, with <laughs> yeah. no wind at all. And, and so for me, at a young age, I was, um, you know, just through grit and resiliency, we had a lot of guys getting hurt. Um, I really kind of willed my way into building trust in that, in those practices, kind of in the dog days of summer to be able to, to start at Notre Dame. And so for me, that was the biggest lesson I learned early on in my career is that resiliency is that grit. It's that when times are tough, you got to put your head down and just figure it out. And so from now me in the business world as a startup co-founder, there's a lot of that same mentality. It's like, I, I don't have someone here telling me what to do. No, like I, there's obviously my mentors and advisors I can lean on to help, but they don't know the business as much as I do, right? So it's like, what can I do now to, to try to propel the business to the next step? And I just come, always come back to grit and resiliency. It's startup life is hard. It's, you know, it's long hours. It's, that's, I enjoy doing it, right? So it's not that, but it's also things, bad things happen, you know, in the business, right? Yes. Whether it's um, just things you, you can't look forward to. It's a key employee leaving. It's, um, you know, having to deal with copyright issues from a university or just stuff like that, right? That you sure. just can't really foresee happening. So it's what are you going to do when those tough times come? And that's all, it all comes down to grit. And, and what you said, Nick, it, it, it's just not your opinion or your experience. That There's data out there now. Angela Duckworth, who I'm a huge fan. My brother's a huge fan. My sister-in-law loves Angela Duckworth. Uh, she's a psychologist and she studied grit. And she found the most successful people were the key ingredient that they had was grit. Her book, Grit, is a phenomenal. And she has research data to support exactly what you had said. The other thing I was thinking about, <clears throat> and all of us have this in whatever business we're in, you had a choice in those summers. And you retired just like the other guys next to you. And you were gritting it out, controlling what you controlled, giving it your best, and your reward. And I love that you said you got on the field that day back in the summer. And I just want to say to everybody out there, um, tomorrow, the next day, we're all going to, and when the 16, we have a chapter on unforeseen challenges. It's going to happen. It happens every day. And we've got to control what we control. You were just controlling what you could control and to the best of what you do. So I love that you share that. That's awesome. Uh, give us your best memory or story, whatever you want to do about playing football at Notre Dame. So I know you have many. Yeah. Pick one, and I, I'd love to share it. Love everyone to hear it. Yeah, I would say 
like you said, there's so many. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> just being around the guys, right? Just yes. even off the field, right? Just creating so many memories. But the one I will just always remember. Um, obviously, it was my first uh, touchdown. So this was against Temple, uh, my junior year, and um, this was, I think, the second game of the year. And so we were we were up about a touchdown at the time, and um, was able to to get in the end zone by a throw from from Brandon Wimbush. So that was my first collegiate touchdown. Um, it was amazing. I had probably 30 of my friends and family in the stands. Um, I actually, awesome. I, I try to remember like, you know, what it was like, like the feeling in the end zone, but I actually blacked out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was just one of those experiences ah. where, you know, you're so excited. Uh, I just remember being around all the fellows coming to smack yes. me on the head. And then basically from there, I don't really remember. Well, us watching it on TV, we enjoyed it. We loved it. So if you, I can tell you how I felt and the boys when we were watching you <laughs> score that, that. That was thrilling for us. Uh, so that was great. Um, I want to say this, and I was going to say it earlier, but I didn't. And I remember my friend Pat Branken and Eileen, your uh, coaches in high school or end of grade school, your basketball team was phenomenal. You had Max Strusana, who's playing in the NBA. These are all Southside Chicago kids who were just amazing. Um, fortunate to see these kids play. But I remember Pat telling me this, and I think my toddler was practicing with you guys that day because he was behind y'all, and he said, look at Wisher. And I'm like, well, what do you mean look at Wisher? He's like, look at him. He's changing his shirt. I'm like, what, what do I really care that Nick's changing his shirt? He goes, every practice, he plays so hard, he has to bring two shirts, one for the first half practice, the second one for the second half practice. I share that not to embarrass you on the podcast, but I say that to everyone out there is there is a different level of work ethic. And sometimes to be what you want to be, sometimes you've got to get to that next gear and level. And I just never forget that. Um, so that's awesome. I wanted to ask you one more question and then I want to dive into the wisher forever because um, I think that's amazing. People need to know that. And that would be, you had the opportunity to read this, win the 16 book. It's going to be out in April, most likely, everybody. And I, I, I was, I did my own little beta test with about, I think we're 17 people. I wanted them to read it and give us feedback on the book. Give me one or two things from that book. Your write-up was great, so I appreciate you taking all the time you did it on that, Nick. And something in that book that's applicable to the everyday individual doesn't have to be in business could be just anybody out there that stood out for you yeah i would say and first off like thank you for letting me be one of those people it was it's an amazing book i'm excited for the rest of the the listeners to be able to read it um just kind of hearing how you grew up and how you got to where you are it's um it's incredible and to be able to have to share that experience with, ah, other, with other people. Thank so, you, sir. I appreciate um, that. And so for me, like what, what I think is how do you win the 16, right? So it's obviously the idea that you're sleeping eight hours a day, which I try to do because I think it's, you know, I just feel better when I get about eight hours of sleep. Me too. And so how me do too. I, what can I do with those other 16? For me, I try to focus on what's important now. So that's a, an acronym win. I know Northwestern used it a lot and I kind of, kind of got that through my recruitment. Um, I don't know if it, it might have been actually a Lou Holtz quote that originated, but I'm, I'm not really sure where it started. But when W-I-N, what's important now? And Love for, that. And for me, when I try to think of like what's important, I, I basically put that in, into four buckets. So you have uh, faith, family, uh, work, and then you like your social life, right? So those are kind of the four buckets that I believe that, you know, that's where I want to spend my energy into those four buckets. 
And for me, every day I, I wake up and I, I try to figure out what's most important, what, where should I put my energy and which bucket is running low, you know, what's, what's doing okay. Um, and I try to be able to, to have attainable goals that can help either refill those buckets or, you know, hopefully keep them all full. That's the idea, right? But we only have 16 hours a day. So oftentimes keeping those four, four buckets full is pretty difficult. But the yes. idea is to, to wake up each morning and really think about what do I want out of this day? What is, which one of those buckets do I need to pay attention to? And so for me, that's really where I think when the 16 happens is if I can go to sleep that day saying I did what I set out to do that, that morning, um, or how are the, how are all these buckets when I'm, when I'm going to sleep, are they worse than the way I woke up? If they are, that's not good. I didn't win the day. Right. So it's like, how can I, how can I win that 16? I love that because that connects the dots. Because when people who've listened to the first podcast or the book, they'll see that the end of the day is all about being your best self when you reflect back, as well as being proud of that day. That's the real scoreboard. And I know a lot of us have different scoreboards used, but in Win the 16, we, that's our scoreboard where we are best selves and are we proud of it. So, Nick, this is an emotional topic, this is a phenomenal topic of what you and your family, uh, all of them, um, how special you guys are in your foundation. Why don't you tell everybody about the Wish Forever Foundation, how many years, what it is, why it became. It's a story that's gripping and it's amazing. It's inspiring. And I hope people can help the Wish Forever Foundation after you speak with uh, everybody today on what that is and why and that good stuff. So take off, Nick. Yeah, so back in 2012, so over 10 years now, um, my older brother, Andrew, was diagnosed with colorectal cancer. Um, so I was about, I think, in eighth grade at the time when he was diagnosed. So he was diagnosed in 2009, I believe, or 2010. Um, so in that time, I was in eighth grade or freshman year. Mm -hmm. And he was actually a football player at Illinois Wesleyan University, so down in um, you know, Bloomington Normal area. And he was having an, an incredible freshman year. He was about, he was about 250 pounds. He's a D lineman, um, just you know a really great great athlete and, and football player. He was actually the only um, freshman on that team to play in their playoff game that year. So for Illinois Wesleyan, making the Division Three playoffs is a really big deal. And so he was actually, you know, one of the only freshmen to play in that game. He's a, he was a great example of a kid. He, if he's two inches taller, he's next to you at Notre Dame. Yeah, well, 100%. That's yeah. all, right? Yeah. Heart, talent, everything. Had it all. Brains, academics. Uh, just that kid who's a couple inches shorter than what that level wants. But I'm sorry, I had to say that because I can picture him playing. Go yeah, ahead. No, no doubt. That was, that was him. He was a great basketball player in high school, too, yep. but just kind of – he had the football body. He's just a bigger boned kid. Just a couple um, more inches tall. Yeah, just wasn't wasn't quite tall enough. But anyway, uh, so after his freshman year football season, um, he was starting to have some stomach pains and um, you know just wasn't feeling himself. So his parents took him to the <clears throat> to the doctor, and uh, unfortunately, he came home and uh, after a lot of testing, it turned out he had colorectal cancer. Mm. Which at his age, um, I think he was nineteen at the time he was diagnosed. Um, is, you know, it's a pretty terrible diagnosis. That's, yes, that's something sir. where 60 year old pluses are, are kind of going through it. Unfortunately, it's actually even becoming more common now. Yes. Um, but, but anyway, it's just kind of a, a terrible diagnosis, but I'll always remember the day he came home. I think I was just in the basement playing Xbox and, uh, I, I didn't think any was wrong until he came down and, um, you know, so I paused the game and he says, uh, Nick, 
I got cancer, uh, but he didn't like, I, I'm not trying to process all that while he's saying it, but before he even lets me do it, he says, I don't want you to worry. I'm going to beat this thing. Like it's a football opponent. Mm. So me as an eighth grader, that's my big bro telling me like, everything's going to be fine. Right. He just instilled in me that kind of sure. you know, just confidence. And I knew he was going to beat this thing. Um, and then actually about a year and a half later, he went into remission, uh, which was amazing. We had this big party. Uh, a few months after that, though, the cancer actually came back this time more aggressive uh, than ever, as it often does when you come after remission. Um, and then unfortunately, in 2012, in October, uh, he passed away. Um, but really before that time was, you know, obviously, I, I don't like to think about it when he was going through that, that cancer journey. And there's so many lessons that he you know, taught me at just as his life and as he was going through that journey. But um, as he was approached by the nurses, um, you know, kind of the last few weeks of his life where he was just becoming weaker, right? As you could see his body was starting to wither away. He was approached by the nurses um, to talk about hospice. And so while the, the nurses are there, are there kind of going through the explanation of what hospice is about, what all this entails, he looks them dead in the eye and says, I'm not done fighting. And so, mm. you know, again, me just kind of hearing my big bro say that was just something I'll always remember. And then I try to live by to this day. Um, unfor awesome. Unfortunately, a few weeks later, he did, he did succumb to cancer. Um, but before he died, actually a few weeks uh, before he passed, he pulled my brother and uh, my family aside. And he said, uh, I want to be able to pay forward the kindness and generosity that he was shown throughout his battle. Um, so with that, when he was sick, we literally had thousands of people come to our doorstep, um, you know, being on the South side of Chicago, hey, yeah. he was, he was one of the only people I think is probably that's ever existed that was able to bring all these different high schools and that, that have really big rivalries and South big rival hate each other. Let's yeah. who we can. Yeah. yeah. St. Rita, Mount Carmel, yes. Rice, St. Lawrence, yes. all these schools, Marist came together, uh, as one to, to be able to, um, show him support. And so Andrew, before he passed, and this, this was kind of his um, mentality and the way he went through life and the kind of person he was, he wanted all the families that are going through a similar situation to him to be able to feel that same love and support. And so with that, we created the Andrew Wisher Foundation. And so what we do with the Andrew Wisher Foundation, it's a pretty simple mission. We, we raise as much money as possible and we give it directly to families and adolescents with cancer, um, give it right to them. We, we kind of say, do as you please, right? We don't have any stipulations. If you want to, if these families haven't gone and been able to go on a vacation for a few years because of this diagnosis, go ahead and take your family to Disney World or pay some bills, which oftentimes, unfortunately, is, is the way that of the road because bills start tacking up. And it's mm -hmm. the little things that you don't even think about. It's obviously, you know, going through chemo and that sort of stuff is expensive, but it's also parking at the hospital in the city of Chicago, trying to park on the street, you know, for, for $25 every time you go to the hospital every day, that stuff adds up. And so for us, Great point. we financially help want to help these families that are going through that. But another big piece for us is that we've really grown this network of, of volunteers and people that want to be involved. It's giving these families that exactly what Andrew asked us to do is giving them love and support. A lot of these families that we're helping, you know, don't come from great backgrounds. They don't have, you know, Marist and Brother Rice and the, the Mount Carmels and St. Regis of the world to come to their to their aid and be able to provide right. them support. And so what we want to do is be that that backbone for them um, emotionally and, and just be able to help where we can. So to date, uh, we've actually gifted to families over two and a half million dollars since 2013. 
um, have helped over 450 families. So it's amazing to kind of see where we're at. Um, and just from a business perspective, the, the average um, nonprofit organization lasts around three years. And so for us to be able to have made it to year 10 um, is a really big deal for us and something we're super proud of. And I know Andrew is too. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's so emotional listening to you tell that story. I've heard it many times, but it is just incredible. And the amount of money and the amount of people that you guys have involved, I was looking at your website and the board of directors and your ambassadors and just all the people that are involved. Um, I guess if I could say anything for every dollar counts for your foundation. It's not as if you all have a rich relative out there who's giving a half a million dollars to this. I mean, the amount of people that you're getting to contribute are all adding up to get to this number that you said and continues. And every year you have your big one. Name some of the bands that you guys have had. I mean, I just want people throughout the United States and the other three continents that we've had listeners, some of the bands, just start naming some of the people who've come and played at the foundation. Yeah, so um, just for a little bit more background, we have our biggest fundraiser is called Wish Fest. It's a, Please, a, big, tell everybody. a big music festival that we host on the south side of Chicago every year. Uh, this year was our, our first complete total sellout uh, ever, which was amazing. Had about 3,600 people there, which we just physically couldn't fit any more people in the building. Um, and so it's it's a one-day music festival where we try to get you know great bands and just a, a big party to, to, for everyone to come enjoy and raise some money. For Who headlined this year? So this year we had um, a guy by the name of Quinn 92, who, um, you know, kids my age and college kids are, are really um, loving, but we also had the fray. So the fray was the fray. Uh, okay. Yeah, the That's fray. mine. Yeah. The, the fray was yeah. honestly my favorite too. I, I love, thank you. You know, the, the, the early two thousands, you know, you know, first deck 2010 ish yes. vibes. Um, and then we also had two country guys. We had Mitchell Tenpenny and Morgan Evans. So both of those two guys have about five or six songs that every country fan knows. And then the year before, you had another big one. Um, yeah, so we've had um, we've had a few. So we've had Tr Third Eye Blind. Yes, same, um, Third Eye Blind. years ago, we had OAR. So OAR is actually my favorite. Um, they were always a, one of Andrew's favorite bands growing up, too. Um, we've had Eddie Money performed at Wishfest one Eddie year Money. Uh, before he passed. Uh, we had Warrant. So, um, you know, it's really a, it's a family-friendly place. We try to get a little bit of music for everybody. So you come to Wish Fest, which you normally don't get a, at a concert, which we're, we really take pride in. We try to get three or four different pretty big names where depending on what music you like, you're going to find something you like. It's just kind of our the way uh, that we've structured it, and it's really been working out for us. Yeah, it's amazing. If anybody wanted to get involved and help out, uh, Nick, where would they go for the Wish Foundation? Where would you recommend them if anyone wants to help out? And anyway, and when we say help everybody, we'll take any type of help possible out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. From just the small donation or volunteering your time, or if you are interested in out there, uh, we are looking for more uh, executive board members. So that's something that we're always, uh, we, we would love some help as we try to scale this and grow this, um, this nonprofit to, to reach the masses. Uh, you can find us at wishforever.org. So that's W-E-I-S-H-4, like the number four, ever.org. Um, you can also go to wishfest.com and check that out, um, W-E-I-S-H-F-E-S-T.com. And you can always contact me for any information on Yoke 
or wish forever. And I can get you connected to the right people in the right spots. And Nick, so Nick, thank you so much for taking the time out of your business schedule. I, I know you guys are swamped at yoke with all that you're doing there to make that business run. So I appreciate you sharing your expertise, your opinions, your values, everything you did today. So the win the 16th podcast says thank you to my listeners out there. I thank you for listening to our podcast today. We will be back. Dr. Bud Pagan, my brother will be back for our next podcast in two weeks on March 29th. Uh, we'll be back. So again, thank you, everybody. We wish you the best and win the 16. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Episodes will be released every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. Central Time. Thank you and go win the 16th.